Chapter 7 of A Magician Among the Spirits by Harry Houdini. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 Slate Writing and Other Methods. A remarkably large number of methods have been used at one time and another by the numerous mediums of lesser repute than Slade who prospered on slate writing. Slade himself, like any skilled prestidigitator, had a variety of ways which he used to produce his effects. His usual method was very simple. A common kitchen table with the leaves extended was used, the doctor being seated at the end and the client on the side against the leaf at the doctor's right. After the slate had been thoroughly washed on both sides, he placed it under the leaf at the left of the sitter, holding it in position with the fingers of his right hand, with his thumb above the table. The sitter was requested to hold the left end of the slate with one hand, and with the other to grasp the doctor's left hand near the center of the table. In such a position, it was impossible for the sitter to see the slate or the fingers of the medium. On the forefinger of his right hand, Slade had a sort of thimble or ring to which was attached a bit of slate pencil. With this, he wrote a short message on the bottom side of the slate, the scratching of the pencil being quite audible to the sitter. When this scratching ceased, the doctor would be seized with a series of nervous spasms during which the slate was snatched from the sitter's hand for the fraction of a second and, unknown to him, turned over, thus bringing the message to the top so that when a few minutes later it was shown, the message appeared as though written between the slate and the table leaf. A second method, which produced longer messages, was the substitution of slates. If this message was of a general character, the slate was switched for one bearing a previously written message concealed about a nearby piece of furniture. If a special message was required, it was written by an assistant listening in the next room. When the slate had been cleaned, ready for the message, the doctor gave the cue, and the assistant rapped on the door. The doctor answered the knock in person, taking the slate with him, and while listening to some commonplace report, the slates were exchanged. On resuming his seat, the slate was placed under the table leaf as before. No sound of writing being heard, he would examine the top of the slate several times, but of course find no writing. Finally, claiming that the influence did not seem powerful enough, he would lay the slate on the top of the table, message side down with a piece of pencil under it, and then take both the hands of the sitter in his. Soon a sound of writing would be heard, and on examination the message would be found. It was possible for Slade to produce the sound of writing while his hands were holding those of his client, 
by slipping a piece of pencil through threads on the side of his knee and rubbing it against another piece held to the table leg by a wooden clip. One of the most common methods of slate writing is known as the flap slate. The message is written beforehand and concealed with a flap of silicated gauze or thin slate, which fits closely within the slate frame. One side of this flap is covered with cloth to match that used on the top of the table, and when it is dropped is unnoticed. A better way is to cover the back of the flap with newspaper, and by dropping it on a newspaper it becomes invisible. There is an ingenious double form of this flap slate with which it is possible to make a message appear on both inside surfaces of a pair of locked slates without having them leave the sight of the sitter for an instant. The two slates are hinged together like the old-fashioned school slates, but with the hinges on the outside of the slates. The slabs of slate are very thin, and the ends of the frames bevel toward them slightly. One end of each frame is so made that by pressing on one of the hinge screws, the frame end is released and can be drawn out about a quarter of an inch. A very thin slab of slate, called the flap, is arranged to fit snugly over the real slate when the frame ends are in place but drops out as soon as they are released and drawn out. In working these slates, the medium writes a message on the inside of one of them, say the left, and also on one side of the flap. The end of the slate with the message is then drawn out and the flap inserted, message side down, and the frame fastened back in place. A secret mark on the outside of the frame shows which slate is written upon. The slates can then be shown and will appear clean on all four sides, and it is possible to either seal or lock them without interfering with the success of the demonstration. They are then placed on the table with the fake ends nearest the medium and while he leans on their ends with half-folded arms, engaging the sitter in conversation, he, at the same time, with the fingers of his concealed hand, pulls out the frame ends, allowing the flap to fall from one slate to the other, and then secures it in place by putting the ends back. Of course, when the slates are opened, a closely written message is found on both. Another sort of double slate intended for producing a similar effect in dark seances or cabinet work also has a loose end which, instead of moving a quarter of an inch, draws out to any length, bringing the slab with it. After the lights are out or the cabinet closed, it is an easy matter to draw out the slab and write a message on it. Writing is sometimes produced between two perfectly honest slates which have been fastened together at the corners by inserting a wedge of hard wood between the frames, thus separating them enough to slip between them a piece of wire with a bit of slate pencil fastened to its tip. 
By this means, a message can be produced at a dark seance in a few minutes without breaking the seals. There is a form of slate where the slab is invisibly hinged on the side so that it opens like a door and is held shut by a secret catch. This slate can be used in a dark seance or under the table at a light one. It can also be used on a cloth-top table with an invisible trap. The trap and the hinged slate drop down together, and the medium is able to write on the slate by reaching under the table. Still another scheme used with a pair of hinged slates is to have a hole through both frames at one end and locking them with a padlock. In working this, the pins are pushed out of the hinges and the frames, moving easily on the shackle of the padlock, permit the medium to write on the inside of the slates without difficulty, afterwards fastening the slates together again by simply replacing the pins in the hinges. A method of concealing an extra slate is to have it a trifle smaller than the rest and then hidden in some convenient place, say the seat of a chair. A large slate is first examined and laid on the chair. Later, it is picked up with the extra one under it. Sometimes the extra one is hidden under the edge of a rug on the floor and worked in the same way. At other times, it is hidden on the medium's body and slipped under a large slate when the medium stands with his right side on a line with the sitter's vision. An entirely different method is employed to some extent by mediums who are very rapid and interesting talkers. Throughout the seance, the medium walks nervously about the room, keeping up a continual flow of conversation. He passes two slates to the sitter for examination. A third, the same size, with a previously written message on one side, being concealed in a large pocket inside the breast of his coat. While the slates are being examined, he walks about the room, sometimes behind and sometimes in front of the sitter, tapping him on the shoulder to emphasize his remarks. As soon as the slates are examined, he takes them, and passing behind the sitter, places them on his head and asks him to hold them there, and at the same time continuing his walk and talk. Of course, when the slates are examined, there is a message on the inside of one of them. When the medium steps behind the sitter with the slates in his hand, he quickly changes the slate with a message which he has hidden for one of the blank ones. There is no more bold or difficult than many mediumistic tricks, but it requires a particularly fluent conversationalist to successfully produce the needed amount of misdirection when the slates are switched. Women mediums effect a similar exchange sometimes by the aid of a special pocket in the dress. A very effective method of getting a direct answer to a question on the inside of a sealed double slate is as follows. The slates are thoroughly cleansed by the sitter, who writes a question on a slip of paper, folds it, 
and places it between the slates with a bit of pencil. The medium keeps at a distance during the writing and cannot see what has been written. The slates are then sealed with strips of paper and placed on the table and the sitter holds both hands of the medium. After a time, as no sound of writing is heard, the medium shows some concern as to the possibility of failure and suggests that the sitter hold the slates at the top of his own head. Still, there is no sound, and the slates are returned to the table, where they remain for some time without any sign of writing. The medium becomes very much worried and suggests that the slates be placed on the sitter's head again, remarking that if no sound is heard, he will be obliged to postpone that test till a future sitting. This time, the writing is heard almost as soon as the slates touch the head, and when it ceases and the slates are unsealed, a complete answer is found written on the inner surface of one or both slates. This seeming marvel is produced in the following simple manner. The medium's assistant steals into the room with a duplicate pair of sealed slates and stands behind the sitter. In the act of placing the slates on the head, a switch is made, and the sitter holds the duplicates while the originals are taken into an adjoining room by the assistant. He lifts the seals with a hot table knife, and after reading the question, he writes an appropriate answer, reseals the slates, and returns to his position behind the sitter. Another exchange is made when the slates are placed on the sitter's head the second time. The sound of writing is made by the medium under the table with a piece of slate pencil and a bit of slate, but it is so faint that the sitter cannot locate it. In Bohemia, province of Prague, I ran across a medium who was especially good in slate writing. At first, I could not get his work. When I was playing in Berlin at the Winter Garden, he came in one night and wanted to give a performance to the directors. I was guest, but went prepared for him. His work was so designed that he walked behind us, and in so doing he baffled me. I asked for a private sitting, and he readily consented. When he did the slate writing at this sitting, I felt someone's presence, and sure enough, when he took the slates away, there was an almost imperceptible hesitation. In this fraction of a second, the slates were switched through a trap in the panel behind me. I had a mirror on a rubber elastic fastened to my vest, and as I took my seat, I pulled the elastic so I could sit on it. I managed to secure this mirror and keep it palmed in my hand, and with it saw the panel slide open, the arm extended with the duplicate slates, and the exchange made. S. S. Baldwin, an acknowledged expert in spiritualistic and telepathic tomfoolery, was bamboozled by a Dr. Fair, according to his own story, which he told me in December 1920. He received a message on a slate held by himself under a table, and afterwards, 
at the suggestion of the doctor, made a thorough examination of the table, the room, and everything in sight, but failed to discover a concealed door in the wainscot of the wall through which a man in black garments could find his way to space under a sofa and thence to the table, which was a rather large one, do the spirit writing, and then make his exit while Mr. Baldwin was fully occupied holding the slate under the table with his eyes fixed on space above it. One of the very best mediumistic tricks, and one that has made the reputation of more than one well-known medium, is done with a number of small slates and one large one. The size of the slates is immaterial, but the large one should be three or four inches larger each way than the others. The manner of presentation differs somewhat with different performers, but in general is as follows. When the sitters arrive, the slates are piled near one corner of the table, the larger one at the bottom and eight or nine smaller ones on top of it. The medium stands at the end of the table nearest the slates, and after a few casual remarks, he picks up the top slate with his left hand, changes it to his right, and passes it to the sitter to be examined and cleaned if desired. When he is quite satisfied, the medium takes it back, glances at both sides, and then places it on the table directly in front of the sitter. This is repeated with the remaining small slates, which are not stacked up evenly, but left in a haphazard pile. While the last small slate is being placed on the pile with the medium's right hand, he picks up the large slate with his left and rests it on top of the others, at the same time passing the sitter a pencil and asking him to write a few lines on it, requesting the spirits to favor him with a message and to sign his name to it. He is at liberty to examine this slate also, and to write his message on either side. The large slate is then placed at the right of the sitter, and he is asked to place his right hand on it. The small slates are then evened up by the medium, secured by a heavy rubber band, and then placed in the center of the table. The medium then takes a seat at the table, opposite the sitter, and they clasp hands at the sides of the slates. After a sufficient pause, the slates are unbound by the sitter, and on a slate near the center of the stack, a message is found written in chalk or slate pencil, and signed by a departed friend. The secret of this startling effect is extremely simple. Concealed beneath the big slate at the beginning of the seance is a smaller slate with the message already written on it. This is picked up with the larger one when the latter is placed on the stack for the sitter to write on it and dropped on the others written side down. The extra slate is never noticed as the pile has not been counted, and the business of passing the slate pencil occupies the sitter's attention so that he does not realize that the large slate rests on the small ones before he examines it. The medium then takes about half the small slates, 
evens them up and lays them to one side, and repeats with the remaining ones, laying them evenly on the others. This is a perfectly natural move, as the whole stack makes more than a handful, and by means of it the slate and the message is placed in the middle of the stack. The stack is then set on end, the rubber band placed around it, and it is then ready to be placed in the middle of the table for conclusion of the seance. Two methods of writing between locked or sealed double slates when only one or two words were needed puzzled the investigators for a long time. The first was worked with a strong magnet. The bit of slate pencil which was put between the slates was specially prepared with either powdered soapstone mixed with iron filings, water and glue, or a small piece of iron was used covered with a paste of soapstone, water, and mucilage. By holding the magnet under the slates and tracing the words backwards, the prepared pencils would follow the magnet and write the words. The other method was worked with an electromagnet set in the table, the necessary wires running down one leg and making contact with a copper plate in the floor under the rug by means of a sharp metal point on the end of the leg. Since the introduction of wraps by the Fox sisters, various methods have been devised for producing them. One of the simplest expedients is for the medium to slightly moisten the fingers and slide them very gently on the top of the table. A little experimenting soon shows the amount of pressure necessary to produce the desired amount of sound, and of course the medium is cautious to let the fingers move only the desired distance, and that too when no one is looking. Another simple method is to place the thumbs close together in such a manner that the nail of one overlaps the other a trifle. Then, while the thumbs are pressed hard on the table, if one nail is slipped up or down, distinct wraps are produced, which seem to come from the top of the table. Some mediums produce wraps by slipping a knee up and down against a table leg. Others have been known to fasten blocks of wood to the knee, under the skirt, and wrap on the table leg with a sidewise motion of the knee. Still others strike the table leg with the heel of the shoe, or press the side of the heel against the table leg, and by moving the heel up and down, the friction of the leather against the wood produces wraps. Many mediums will not depend on these methods, but use more complicated ones, which produce the wraps by means of mechanical devices which they conceal about their person. One of these consists of a small hollow metal tube in which a long, heavy burlap needle is arranged to move up and down like a piston, and attached to it to operate it a stout black thread. The tube is fastened to the inner side of a trouser leg. The free end of the thread is brought out through a seam and an inconspicuous little hook attached. After being seated at the seance table, the medium attaches the little hook to the opposite trouser leg 
and draws on it until the needle point comes through the cloth. He then watches an opportunity to press on to the point of the needle a cork to which has been attached a piece of lead. This accomplished, all he has to do is to place the knee in the proper relation to the table, and by moving the other back and forth, the piston is made to work up and down, causing the leaded cork to wrap out all sorts of messages. Another ingenious mechanical contrivance is built into the heel of the medium's shoe and operated electrically by running a wire from it up through the sole of the shoe and passing it between the back of the shoe and the foot and so on up the leg to batteries concealed in a pocket. By placing this heel against the table leg, the wraps can be made to sound as though coming from the middle of the table, and with a proper amount of suggestion, the sitters can be made to believe that the mysterious taps are produced in turn under each pair of hands on the table. Table levitating is easily accomplished in the dark, through the aid of a confederate, by several different methods. If the medium and his assistant are seated opposite, by raising their knees at a signal, they can lift the table from the floor without difficulty. By slightly rocking or tipping the table, the medium and assistant can simultaneously slip a foot under table legs diagonally opposite, lift the table, and keep it balanced by the pressure of the hands on its top. These and many similar methods are perfectly practical in dark seances, but for manifestations where there is any danger of the sitters being able to see, mechanical contrivances are resorted to. The oldest form is simply a light, though powerfully strong, length of blue steel riveted to a stout leather wrist strap. When not in use, the whole thing is concealed in the medium's sleeve. Sometimes both the medium and the assistant are thus equipped. This has been somewhat superseded by a chamois-covered flat steel hook concealed under the vest and riveted to a tight-fitting leather belt encircling the medium's body. With this hook under the table edge, great power can be exerted upon the table with very little strain upon the operator. The lifting strength of a human hair is not generally known, yet by means of one freshly taken from the head, long enough to span a small light table, the table can be lifted. One of the more modern contrivances is a steel belt which the operator wears and to the front of which is attached a short metal arm which can be engaged under the tabletop in such a way that the operator can take his hands off the table and still support it in the air. When releasing the table, the metal arm is slipped back and the steel belt shifted to another position on the body, the medium's coat concealing both. Just as advances are made in other lines of work, so too mediums advance in their methods of deceiving their subjects. Few would resort to the old-time methods of releasing a foot from under the foot of an investigator, 
They have devised a new and baffling method. The medium's shoes are especially made for her in such a way that by a certain pressure on the sole, it is possible to withdraw the greater portion of the shoe with the foot from a false front. This front is made of metal and padded. When the medium asks the committee to place their feet on hers, she makes sure that they do not overreach the portion she can withdraw from. In the full glare of the light, the investigator thinks he feels the medium's foot securely held under his own, and as he cannot see under the table, the medium has the full use of her foot to produce manifestations. I once gave a seance while I was touring in England. It was a dark seance, and just at the psychological moment, a spirit came through the window and walked around on the wall and ceiling of the room and then out of another window. The explanation is simple. On the bill with me were two acrobats, hand-to-hand balancers. One took off his shoes and stockings, and the other sneaked up to him. He pulled down the window and then did a hand-to-hand balance with his partner and walked around the room. He then went back to his seat, put on his shoes, and looked as innocent and meek as possible under the circumstances when the lights were turned on. I told everyone present that it was only a trick, but as usual they insisted that I was a medium. A rope trick, which always causes astonishment and helps to create a belief in supernatural aid, is done by a woman medium who enters a cabinet with a rope bound around her neck. The loose ends of the rope are forced through opposite sides of the cabinet and held tightly by two members of the committee. Nevertheless, the manifestations take place just the same, and when the cabinet is opened afterwards, the medium is found bound just as she was before the seance. As a matter of fact, when the curtains have been closed and the committee have a grip on the ends of the rope, the medium cuts the specially tied loop around her neck. When she is ready to come out, she simply ties another loop, using a duplicate piece of rope, which she had concealed on her person. When the committee release the ends of the rope, she slips the mutilated piece into her bloomers and appears with a duplicate, which looks like the original one. There are various methods of producing spirit photographs. One is to have a table prepared so that a developing pan is placed where an X-ray penetrates to the negative. This produces a spirit light. Another is to fix the side of the plate with some luminous substance, shape, or flash. And it is astonishing what these things look like. You get forms and frequently recognize faces in the splotches. Father de Heredia has palmed a figure in his hand, and as the investigator signed the negative, remarked, I might as well sign it myself. In so doing, he rested the left hand over the plate while signing with his right, and the phosphorus figure in his hand was photographed on the negative. A simple method is to have something concealed in the hand and hold it over the lens instead of a cap, 
and still another is to get the camera out of focus and snap it secretly. Then, when the regular exposure is made, there is an additional hazy something on the plate. One of the most startling swindles I ever heard of a medium working was called fingerprinting a spirit. In this test, the medium shows the sitter fingerprints of the departed soul. I hesitated at first about including this fake, fearing to add to the stock of unscrupulous mediums, but I finally concluded that the public should know about it. The scheme was first discovered by a sculptor who dabbled some in spiritualism. One day, several years ago, a workman fell from the top of the building in which this man had his studio and was killed. The body was carried into the studio, and while alone with it, the sculptor conceived the idea of fooling some guests who were to hold a seance that night. He hurriedly made a plaster of Paris mold of the dead man's fingers and later filled it with a rubber-like substance used in his work. When this had hardened and the plaster had been removed, it resembled, even to the most minute detail, the dead hand. During the seance that night, he produced fingerprints with it on a trumpet which he had lamp-blacked, and upon investigation it was found that these fingerprints corresponded exactly with those of the man in the morgue. No one was able to explain the mystery, and he kept the secret for some time, but later another medium learned it and obtained a position in an undertaking establishment where he found an opportunity, after a while, to secure the fingerprints of several of the dead who belonged to the wealthy class. In due time, he arranged seances with the relatives and convinced them of his genuineness. There are two cases on record where fortunes were at stake because of this sort of fraud. In one case, $500,000 changed hands upon the recognition of the fingerprints of a man who had died two years before. His hand had been maimed in an accident, and all the scars showed in the impression on the spirit slate. Fortunately, a confession was wrung from the medium, and the money went to the rightful heirs. A manifestation which seems mysterious, but which is in reality ridiculously simple, is worked as follows. A glass is filled with water and placed on the table in a cabinet. Ribbons or bands of tape are then drawn over it at right angles and the ends fastened to the table with nails. Thus secured, the glass cannot be lifted and the top is entirely covered except some small openings. The medium is then locked into the cabinet for a few minutes, during which he keeps up a continual clapping of his hands. But when the cabinet is unlocked, the glass is empty of water and the general impression is that the spirits drained it. As a matter of fact, the medium had worked his hands up near his face and shifted from slapping his hands to slapping his face with one hand. This left a hand free, and with it he had no difficulty in producing a straw from his pocket and sucking the water from the glass. Of course, 
These examples are only a few of the many means employed by mediums to produce their manifestations and take advantage of the credulity of the average sitter, but they are enough to show the reader the sort of methods practiced and the lengths to which they will go in their deceptions. End of chapter 7